This podcast is part of the C-Suite Radio Network, turning the volume up on business. Hey, everyone. Welcome to the It's All About Experience Management podcast, where guests from around the world share with you strategies and easy-to-implement ideas for improving the experience and transforming your business. Your host, Jason S. Bradshaw, has spent decades helping leaders like you and organizations across the world improve the experience and grow their businesses. Now, over to Jason and this week's guests. Hi, everyone. Welcome to this episode of It's All About Experience Management. Joining us today is a New York Times and Wall Street Journal bestselling author. He has published eight best-selling books and is a renowned keynote speaker on customer service. Our guest today is the one and only Shep Hyken. Shep, welcome to the podcast. Great to be here, Jason. Thanks for having me. Absolute pleasure. And let's jump straight in with the first question. Now, for a number of years, you've been conducting and publishing a report on the state of customer service and CX. Of course, you've published your report for 2022, and I'm wondering for our listeners, what are some of the highlights, the key highlights from the report this year? Great question, and I'm actually going to put on my glasses to make sure I give you the right stats. I know the audience can't see this, but but I have to read. Here's here's what I thought was one of the most telling stats. When it comes to customer support, are you ready for this? 42% would rather clean a toilet than call customer support. 46% would rather go to the dentist than call customer support. What that tells me, and it's not the most important stat, in fact, of course, but what that tells me is that a lot of companies are getting this wrong and the squeaky wheel is getting the oil and the less desirable experiences are being remembered, which is why people cringe when they have a problem and they need to call support. But let me give you some really important stats and facts. 58% say that great customer service is more important than price, which means if you deliver that experience that they love, price becomes less relevant. Even, by the way, in tough economic times, such as what many of us might be experiencing today. 78% are willing to go out of their way to do business with a company that has better support. 83% trust a company or a brand more if they provide excellent service. I can go on and on, but uh, just keep in mind that 74% are willing to switch to a competitor if they find out that it's a better experience elsewhere. So the idea of service and experience becomes really important. And I just want to add one other thought that probably 10 to 12 years ago, companies like, you know, Forrester and Gartner, the major analytical firms that are out there, or analytical analyst firms that are out there, started predicting, McKinsey and Company, started predicting that customer experience would be the most important investment companies are making by 2020. And I believe they were accurate. I just don't think enough companies have figured it out yet. Yeah. And I think in the report, you know, you really break down the differences between generations, you know, baby boomers, Gen Z, millennials. And when I was reading it, I found it really interesting some of the differences between what baby boomers valued and, say, Gen Z. But the key message that came out across the whole report, and please correct me if, if you don't agree with my interpretation, was it doesn't matter your what generation you're part of, customer service, customer experience matters. The elements which matter more or less to you 
may differ right. in generations. But overall, you're going to pay more for a better experience. Yeah. You, well, in many cases, you do pay more for a better experience and, and customers are happy to do that. And we have to define what better means. Is better because it's friendly service and helpful service? Is better because it's more convenient? Is better because I know that if I call this company, I don't ever have to wait on hold for 10, 20 minutes, let alone two hours. They seem to always get me in within a very short period of time. So when we start to look at what drives the experience for that individual, they get excited. Even today, you know, while we would to your point, while all generations want great service, you know, what's the most important, powerful channel of customer support? Well, for the boomer, it's the phone. Okay. Uh, the older generation, I think it's about 87% really love the phone versus Gen Z's that uh, it's just a little over 50%. So there's almost a 30% gap of what the most important channel is. And when you look at, you know, social media, everybody thinks social media is so important today for customer support. I believe it is, but it's not the first choice. As a matter of fact, in the list of most important channels, social media is at the bottom. But the reason customers go to social media is not typically for the first time they're reaching out to the company. It's because they haven't been able to get their get their answers by calling on the phone. They're being put on hold. They're maybe not getting the right answer. Uh, they've emailed. They haven't gotten a response. Uh, that the other channels aren't working. So they go to Twitter and Facebook and other social channels and they openly complain. Uh, and that's because they're seeking revenge, not necessarily <laughs> trying to get an answer, but or they're letting the world know, hey, I need help and you're not giving it to me. Maybe here's a way to get it. I'm going public with this complaint. Yeah, channel of last resort. It uh, should never be the case that a customer has to go down that path. There should now, never be any other. There should. It's not about the last resort. There shouldn't be any reason to go to any other resort. <laughs> uh, I, I agree. Now, Shep, this is not the first time you've done this research. And, you know, you've been speaking for decades on the importance of customer service. Yet every year there's, whether it's your report or, you know, Forrester or Gartner or McKinsey, every year the reports say customers value customer experience, you know, we need to get better. Are we just slow and not getting better? Like, what what are we missing here? Why why does it seem the needle's never get getting closer to to the goalpost of everyone being happy? Well, there's so much uh, that I can answer with the question that you've just asked. Let me give you several thoughts that are coming to mind. Number one, I believe companies, most companies, recognize the value of giving a great experience. Number two, rock star companies, the companies that, and, and by the way, if I ask an audience who's your favorite company to do business with, you can predict what those answers are going to be. Amazon and, you know, maybe if uh, you you love Ritz-Carlton, I know you that's one of your favorite chains, that would probably be one that's at the top of your list. And there's other companies like those that everybody says, you know, here in the U.S., it's Nordstrom, it's Chick-fil-A, it's Starbucks, and we can go on and on with the companies that provide great service. Now, what that does is it creates a higher bar because customers don't compare you anymore to a direct competitor. They will look at direct competitors, but in their, the back of their mind, subconsciously, they have experienced great service from another brand, not even in an industry, and that's the benchmark for what great service is all about. So that means uh, the bar is raised. Now, the companies that seem to be lagging may still be trying to invest in a better experience, 
but it's a matter of of trying to keep up and play catch up, not necessarily they're there where they need to be. The other thing that's happening right now, and there's a, another report that's out there called the ACSI, which is the American Customer Satisfaction Index. And the brands that are listed there uh, are the major brands in virtually every sector. And what's really interesting is there was a point, I'm going to guess it was five or six years ago, where it looked like almost every sector was increasing in customer satisfaction. And then things started to change. And then the pandemic hit. And then all of a sudden the supply, excuse me, the supply chain issues and the and the employment issues are are, are hurting companies right now and their ability to deliver what you might consider historically great service. Now you throw in the economy with a really what's happening throughout the entire world is uh, I think we're going to experience a recession if, if we aren't already there. These, uh, it's like this perfect storm coming into play that's really playing on customers' emotions. So the idea of customer service and experience still very important. However, if you miss loyalty, is up for grabs. Repeat business is up for grabs. Never before have I seen customers more fickle uh, than they are. And the ACSI reports are showing a decline in virtually every industry. And so we've got to figure out a way to reverse that. And I think, you know, in the best of times, it's, it's easy to do. In the worst of times, it proves who's really best. I think it also proves who is most invested in the long-term strategy. Oh, yeah. No doubt about it. And it's I, I think those are the companies that company that customers recognize and they go to and they become loyal to and they're willing to spend their money um, at, you know, even Amazon. Amazon today is not the lowest price. It's the mo it's perhaps one of the most competitive marketplaces, but they they are so confident in their service that they will even put on a statement, here's the price if you want to go with Amazon Prime. And you can find it at a lower price. They don't say if you want to take a chance, <laughs> but really, that's <laughs> what the customer is thinking. Am I willing to take the chance to save a few dollars, uh, or do I want to know that my, you know, my Amazon experience, which is typically always, you know, consistent and predictable, is it going to be there? I, I go with the consistent and predictable over taking a chance almost any day, and I think many consumers feel the same way. Yeah, well, Amazon definitely delivers on that, don't they? I placed an order yesterday on Amazon, and I know exactly where that package is right now. I also placed an order yesterday with another major brand, and all I know is they've taken the money from my credit yep. card. <laughs> that's it at this and, point. You know, when are they going to ship? And that, by the way, <laughs> that's we right. do these workshops, and one of the questions uh, we ask is, what are the brands that you love and why outside of your industry? Almost every time, again, Amazon pops up. Sometimes the, the shoe repair store down the street pops up too. And all of them have really good reasons. But one of the people that raised their hands once said, I love Amazon because the moment I place the order, I get an email confirmation. And then once it's shipped, I get an email that tells me it's shipped and what the shipping information is. I might even get an update along the way. And then when it arrives, I get another email, oftentimes with a picture of that box leaning up against my door. And uh, an executive in the back of the room raised his hand. He said, excuse me, but we don't want to bother our customers with emails. They don't want to be, you know, just getting email after email. And I stopped them and said, you know, you're probably right. Your customers don't want a lot of emails, but what they do want, they do want information. 
And the more information you can give them about their situation makes them feel like they're in control. And that psychologically and emotionally ties you to that company because they give you that positive feeling. Yeah, could not agree more with you. Now, one of the areas that piqued my interest in your report from 2022 was that convenience wins business. And this is not a new topic to you. You know, in 2018, you released, I think it was, The the Convenience Revolution, a, a book that, you know, I absolutely love. And um, in there, you share the six principles of the convenience rev- revolution, the first one being reduce friction. Why is reducing friction? And I think we were just touching on, on you know, how companies create or, or, or reduce friction. You know, why is reducing friction so important to that to the customer experience? And how do we go about right. doing it? So reducing friction of the six principles is number one. And actually, all five principles could fall under reducing friction. But some companies have made it their mantra, their credo, their, their north star of let's make it as easy as possible for the customer. But let's talk about what friction is. Um, you know, you're, you're traveling around the world right now. I believe you're in Las Vegas and you just came from Orlando and you're going back to Australia. You know what happens when you go to the airport? It's like going to Disneyland. You stand in long lines right? <laughs> and you see the line as you're waiting to get through, you know, the security lane and you're going, oh my gosh. So anytime you can shorten the line, you're reducing friction. Well, there's a company out there called Clear, C-L-E-A-R, Clear. And it used to be when you went onto their website, the first thing that popped up was a big notice that says, we reduce friction. (laughs) And for friction, it's the time you wait in line. It's a waste of time just to be standing around waiting in line. So that's an example of reducing friction. Think about what Uber did uh, to the taxi cab or, or public transportation industry. They took what used to be like I would I would be when I was living out in the suburbs and I had to go to the airport, I would call the taxi cab company. Maybe I'd call the night before to set up the cab to come and pick me, pick me up, let's say at nine o'clock. Now it's a few minutes before nine and I'm wondering, is the cab going to show up on time or not? Nine o'clock rolls around, not here. I pick up the phone, call the company and they tell me the taxi's on its way. Well, maybe it finally gets there. And then I get in the cab, I get out to the airport I have no idea what the fare is going to be. I do because I've done it before, but normal, if you hadn't, you know, if you're going from a hotel to an airport, you don't know what the fare is going to be until you get there. And then you have to reach in your pocket, pull out your wallet, pay for it. Well, Uber eliminated all of that. As a matter of fact, you just get on your phone and you decide, oh, uh, I like the price because they tell you what it's going to be ahead of time. I could see how far away the driver is. I can even track the driver on a little map and know exactly where that driver is. And then finally, uh, as I mentioned, get out of the cab and just walk away. Don't have to pay for it. Well, you do pay for it. It's just automatically taken care of because you've set the account up. They've reduced all the friction. The only friction they didn't eliminate was the actual ride. And uh, it will be a long time before we're like Star Trek. Beam me up, Scotty, or beam me over there. Not going to happen. Well, they're definitely trying to reduce that part of the friction as well. But, but, you know, I I completely agree with you around how Uber has reduced the friction, made it an easier experience. Companies like Lyft have done the same. There's other companies today. And and if you think about that as a model, Um, where can you reduce the friction in your customers' lives? Do a journey map 
and look at every interaction point that the customer has with you. And is it easy or as easy as it could be? Is there any friction at all? Uh, one of the case studies in the book, and there are six convenience principles, was in subscription. Uh, the Wall Street Journal discovered, this is amazing, that when you want to subscribe to the journal, they would ask you questions. They want your name, they want your credit card information, et cetera, et cetera. For every field of information that they asked for, the likelihood of a customer abandoning the transaction became greater, even if it was ever so slight. So the more fields, the, all they needed to start with was your name, your, your credit card and email address, okay? Maybe a zip code, that's it, okay? That's, that's all. They don't need to know what your home address is. They don't need to know how old you are. They don't need to know if you're male or female or whatever. They just need the basics to get you your subscription. And over time, they could start asking you questions and start to develop your profile to better understand who you are as a subscriber. But initially, make it as easy and simple as possible. So uh, I was thinking when you were talking about Uber and how they've you know reduced friction have they also removed though the human element i i know you've got a, a taxi experience that you've shared on stages across the world where you know that doesn't seem to happen in the uber world anymore you don't have those random moments of pure customer connection oh, I, I, do you think there's this automation is taking some of the well, the automation makes it easy to get the driver but the driver still is working for a tip, a, a little bit of a wage. You know, obviously there's the cost that we're charged, but then at the end, do we want to leave the driver a tip? And that's why I always, I love it with like in, in, a, in a restaurant, I know I'm getting off of Uber, but I'll come back in a moment. In a restaurant, if you're a server and you're given, a, you know, four tables to work that night, okay, even though you're getting paid by the hour, you're still working on commission. <laughs> Okay, because you get a, a percentage of whatever that table is going to buy. So creating a better experience, making the right suggestions, uh, enhancing the experience by recommending a dessert. If you are working to get a 15 to 20% tip, every dollar that you add to that guest check is going to be an extra, say, 20%. Now, if it's, uh, if it's a $4 dessert, 20% is 80 cents. You say, big deal, 80 cents. That's not very much. So you, you realize, hey, I'm working, uh, you know, 10 tables a night. That's, that's $8. I'm working five nights a week. That's $40. I'm working, wow, 50 weeks a year. That's 2,000 extra dollars I make because I've recommended the dessert to the table. I could buy a lot of shoes with $2,000. <laughs> So anyway, back to um, the Uber. I, I got off the tangent. Uh, back to the Uber. Uber uh, drivers are the same. Uh, recently, uh, well, recently, within the last year, I was lucky. I happened to be picked up by an Uber driver here in St. Louis. He goes by the name of Woody. And he said, anytime you need me, here's my card. I'm happy to book it through Uber. He told me exactly how to do it to make sure that I always get him. Or you just call me direct. It'll be the same price. But this guy has an incredible following, just like Frank, my taxi cab driver from Dallas, Texas. Years ago, this Uber driver has multiple Uber drivers that work with him to ensure his customers are being taken care of. Mm. Yeah, great point there that, you know, whether 
you're an Uber driver, a, a waiter uh, in a restaurant, you know, in the service industry, there is always an opportunity to put that human connection into the experience and not just focus on what are the tasks or the process that you have to complete. Uh, so, uh, you know, I, like I said, it, it, The Convenience Revolution was a, one of my all-time favourite Shep Hyken books, but then you c- couldn't rest there. In 2021, you released uh, I'll Be Back. Uh, I'm wondering, for the audience that may not be familiar with the book, what's the premise of I'll well, Be Back? it's not uh, The Terminator. Arnold Schwarzenegger saying, <laughs> I'll Be Back. But I will tell you, about three sentences into me starting to write the outline, I thought, who made this line famous? I'll be back. The subtitle is how to get customers to come back again and again. And the premise came as a result of talking to a client. They're in the hair salon business. They actually hired me to be the keynote speaker for 1,200 managers of people that cut hair. And I know the audience can't see this. I don't have hair. So it's been a long time since I went to a salon, but actually my wife goes to a salon. My kids go to their, their hair salon, but here's the point. We were talking about how we know if we're doing a good job or not. And we're talking about different surveys is NPS net promoter score, a favorite survey, uh, you know, is a uh, one to five, one to 10, what's the best. And I made a comment. I said, do you realize that every time you get survey results, all you're doing is getting a history lesson. A history lesson that, by the way, tells you if you're doing a good job or not, and you can use that that information to make it better next time, okay? But what it doesn't measure is human behavior. It doesn't measure whether the customer's actually coming back. And so I started to think about what's really the most important measurement, and that is, does the customer say, I'll be back, and then actually come back? So in the hair salon business, uh, most people who go get their hair cut at the same place, there is a frequency or a cadence. They go once a month, once every six weeks. And the it's very easy using a computer and a CRM, customer relationship management program, but just using the computer to be able to track the cadence and the regularity of different customers. And if you notice a customer is going out of sync with what their typical cadence is, there should be some type, you can even automate it, some type of a response to that customer that says, hey, we, we haven't seen you and it's been eight weeks. Usually you come in here you know, every six weeks. What's going on? You need to track the behavior, you need to monitor it, and you need to act on it if it breaks in a way that you're not happy with, which means it's going the opposite direction. It'd be different if they started to come in more often. That's great. Once again, we're tracking behavior, we're noticing it, we're noticing repeat business, and loyal business, which by the way, repeat business and loyalty are not the same. Uh, and that's an important factor as well. We could talk about that if you want to get into it, but that's, that's the thing. The most important measurement to me is does the customer come back? Everything else is a history lesson that helps us make sure the next time we do better and that ideally it would create an experience where the customer would come back. So, Shep, let's go there. What What is the difference between repeat business and Well, everybody uh, wants repeat business, and ultimately, everybody would love a loyal customer, and oftentimes, they're confused. As a matter of fact, companies create marketing programs. They call, they're actually called loyalty programs, which are nothing more than marketing programs to drive the customer to come back. Uh, in the most simplistic example, if I go to a restaurant and they go, hey, you want to be in our loyalty program? Sure. What is that? Here's a card. I'll punch it. Four more punches, you get a free sandwich, okay? Or what does that mean? That means on the fifth time, 
free sandwich is really a 20% discount across all five sandwiches. So it's really a, a, a program designed to get me to come back. It's not necessarily designed to create loyalty, even if it's called a loyalty program. If you go on your airline, your favorite airline, points and perks, really powerful to get you to come back. But if they drop the points and the perks, would you still go back to that airline? And there are some people who have a love for their airline that said, yeah, I mean, it makes a difference. They have to be competitive. So the points, everybody has to have a point program. But if everybody dropped the point program, which airline would you choose to go on? And that's the one that is it, the loyalty is because of an emotional connection. You enjoy the experience. You're confident. It's predictable. You own the experience because you know that every time you fly, that's what you're going to get. And if it's what you want, then uh, if they ruined the, the or they took away the point system across the board, you're going to say, this is still my favorite airline. I think that's a great distinction. And now it has me wondering who would I be flying if it wasn't for for the loyalty program or the so-called loyalty program. Um, a nice way to put it, uh, the, mar- the marketing program to get you to keep com- coming back. Uh, in I'll be back. You make a rather bold statement, I think. Uh, the statement is, want to be amazing, just be better than average. It seems a little bit a little bit too easy. Is it really that simple? Well, simple doesn't mean easy um, in that it's simple to understand. And what does better than average look like? And I know you love the Ritz. And the Ritz-Carlton has a great training program that, w- that when you were over at Volkswagen, quite a few uh, times that you took some of the top dealers through this program because they're so good at what they do. Horst Schultz, who is the co-founder and first president of the Ritz, also has the same belief that to become one of the most amazing brands in the world, just simply be better than average. But the key is to be better than average all the time. Now, what does better than average look like? It's not, by the way, you will have opportunities to blow the customer away with over-the-top experiences when they fall on your lap. And that could be because they come to you with a complaint and you go above and beyond to fix it. Or maybe you just overhear something. Again, simple uh, example, I'm at a restaurant, I'm the server, I hear a couple talking about their 10-year anniversary. I surprise them with a little cake and ice cream and a candle at the end of their meal. Well, the next time they come in, it's not their anniversary. <laughs> okay, so I, th- that, that opportunity isn't gonna drop in my lap again. But what I can give them is the predictable positive experience. So let's talk about what over uh, above average means. At the Ritz, talking to Horst, his exact words were, we use the guest's name and we use it often. So once we learn the name, we tell our people as the guest is walking through, hi, Mr. Bradshaw, hope you're having a great day today. Hey, how are you? Know, and you, you just you know use that name the right way as, and, and that's is that over the top? I don't think so, but it's just a little piece uh, that adds to the experience. So this is what we want our customers to say. By the way, our research, going back to the uh, ACA research, the, the top thing that customers want from, from people they do business with and, and get support from and help from is they want helpful and friendly service. After that, it's knowledgeable, people that know what they're doing, that kind of thing. But helpful and friendly is easy to deliver. This is what you want your customers to say. They're always friendly. They're always helpful. They always get back to me. They're always knowledgeable. Even when there's a problem, I know I can always count on them. Now, the common word throughout all these sentences is the word always. When it's always followed by something positive, not even over the top, 
you know, they always remember me. Wow, that's pretty cool. The word always followed by something good. That's how you know you're operating in the zone of amazement. And really always is another word for yep, consistent, consistent you know, and consistently friendly. Yeah, absolutely. Fantastic tip there. Now, uh, Shep, thanks for being on the show. Those of the audience who don't know how to reach out to you, what's the best way for them to connect with you, to follow your work and, and to be inspired by the well, things thank that you, you do? I just, you know, look me up by my name. Uh, Hyken.com is the website, H-Y-K-E-N. If you go there, you can download at no charge our research and that automatically gets you into our little system. Uh, our world of customer service and experience. Every week I come out with tips. I every week have a cartoon that's a lot of fun to share uh, with your team and talk about. And so that's the easiest way to get into our world is just go to the website. And of course, you have uh, your very own podcast, uh, which has been going for many, many years. You've been on it at least two or three times. Yeah, I think two or three times indeed, and uh, hopefully again in the future. Um, and that's featured on the C-Suite Radio Network as well. So uh, certainly recommend that podcast to our audience. Shep, before I let you go, I have one final question, which of course is actually inspired by your podcast. What's the one thing that you think our listeners should do when they finish listening to this episode so that they can start improving the customer service, the customer experience. Well, I could say there are lots of things, uh, but I, I want to, I'm going to give you I'm going to give you two answers. It's not one thing because I always believe in giving a little more than you thought you were going to get. First of all, go to the website and download the research. It's free, and there's lots of information that could help you make good decisions if you're thinking about either uh, bumping up your customer service initiative or even just starting one. So that's a place to go to get information that'll get your brain wired up and started. The other thing I want you to do is consider the culture of your company because that's where it all starts. And Jason, you know this as much as anyone. You wrote the book about sex, C-E-X, customer and employee experience. The employee experience and the culture that's in that company is so important. It's what's happening inside is going to be felt on the outside by a customer and leadership has to own this initiative. They've got to create a vision. They've got to communicate it. They've got to get everybody trained to it. They have to be the role model for it. They've got to defend the culture of people or a department gets out of line and they got to let people know that it's working by celebrating it when it does. So that's what I would do. <laughs> Fantastic. Uh, all the links to Shep's website, his podcast, his books will be in the show notes. Again, Shep, thanks very much for being My part pleasure. of the My pleasure. I can't wait to see you again. Thanks for listening. If you like this episode, we'd really appreciate it if you gave us a five-star review on your favorite podcasting platform. And don't forget to check out any bonus content mentioned in today's episode at allaboutxm.com. You can find more information about Jason at jasonsbradshaw.com. Thanks again for tuning in, and I'll see you next time.